Amen. You just had a clinic in the gospel put to music right there. One of the things I absolutely love about Sherwood is how we can go from extremely modern songs that are uplifting the name of Jesus and then go back and grab some of those classic, amazing songs and there's still excitement and enthusiasm across the board. By the way, we never need to be in a place where we get locked into only one period of time and what it looks like to worship Jesus. It's wonderful to see it span the generations. So this morning, we are continuing in our Rewire series. And I begin with a basic statement, one that I think that is non-controversial, one I believe is something that most people think a lot, but maybe we've just not said out loud. So here's my statement. Life happens, and it's not always encouraging. Okay? So let's just take the last two months as an example. The last two months, I know of people personally, there's a lot of these that are right here in Sherwood. It, it might be that you are going through these same events, or maybe you know people that are in the same place. But just the last two months, there are people that I know who have faced major health problems, struggles in marriage, financial crisis, job loss, and the death of loved ones. There are people who are facing mild or what might be considered major issues with their children. There are some people that are trying to help their loved ones who have been battling with thoughts of suicide. There's others who are discouraged because they're trying to start a family, and yet God's not allowing them to get pregnant. Or they're trying to grow their family through foster care and adoption, and they just keep hitting roadblocks. There's a lot of people that are wrestling with God over what seems to be unanswered prayers, or at the very least, maybe unfulfilled expectations. So the situations change, and the severity absolutely changes, but the one constant is there is an emotional struggle that people are walking through. And when people are going through those times, it doesn't even mean that they necessarily know what they're walking through. If you were to ask them, like, tell me what you're going through, they might not be able to put a label on it. They, they might be able to simply say, I, I don't know what you call it. I just know I'm going through some stuff and I'm hurting right now. Putting a label on it might be too hard. Like, am I sad or am I disappointed? I, I don't know. Am I discouraged? Is this the beginning stages of depression? I, I don't really know. Am I just being overly dramatic in this moment? Am I just tired? Is this a day? Is this a couple of weeks in my life? Like, am I losing it? I don't know what you call it. All I can say is I'm going through some stuff and it hurts. Our culture doesn't make that any easier. Because in culture, sometimes the overusage of certain terms begins to cloud people's understanding of what it really means. So you might have one person that they, they just simply say, I'm depressed. But they're using, I'm depressed, because maybe their favorite character was booted off of their reality TV program. Or they say, I'm depressed, my favorite team just lost. Or I'm depressed, they took pizza off the menu at my favorite restaurant. And we just kind of throw out those terms 
And all I can say is, you know, your favorite team losing or, you know, your favorite character being booted off, it might be sad, temporary sadness. It might be a little disappointing, but I don't think it qualifies as depression. The overusage and misunderstanding of terms makes things difficult. So I want to take a moment and just try to clarify five of the biggest terms that you're going to run into just in a person's life dealing with emotional distress. I believe all of these are in your notes, but just so that we have a basic understanding of all five of these. So uh, sadness is where we begin. Sadness is emotional pain associated with or characterized by feelings of disadvantage, loss, despair, or hopelessness. Everybody goes through times of sadness. Uh, Sadness seems to appear quickly in those moments right after stress or those moments after upsetting events. Another word that you could use there would be disappointment. Disappointment is sadness or displeasure caused by the non-fulfillment of one's hopes or expectations. So that makes sense for us. We, We all have hopes and dreams. We have desires of what we're thinking or planning or wishing is going to happen. And sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. Sometimes it doesn't happen the way that we want and a person goes through this time of disappointment. Another term there is discouragement. That is loss of confidence, courage, or enthusiasm to press forward. Often when sadness persists or when disappointment grows without check, it can lead into discouragement. The discouraged person is the individual. They they lose the energy. They lose their enthusiasm about taking on whatever that next challenge might be. There's depression. Depression is an overpowering and ongoing mental struggle that may have a dramatic impact on daily living. It often includes sadness, hopelessness, and numbness. A person might experience a loss of motivation or interest or appetite or even pleasure. They may be overcome with feelings of guilt or overcome with feelings of low self-worth. They often struggle with sleeping and chronic fatigue and apathy towards life. So whenever those particular symptoms or maybe a combination of some of those symptoms persist more than a couple of weeks, it's often referred to as depression. It may be the beginning stages of depression. And then there's another word that we could add into this continuum. It's the word grief. Grief is deep sorrow associated with loss. That is loss of someone or loss of something. Grief is not only what somebody experiences when a loved one passes away. Uh, People can experience grief when they think about the loss of their health or maybe the loss of future plans or the loss of dreams or ambitions. The loss, listen to this, even of close relationships that have now been broken because of sin. It's important that we pause in that to let people know that grief is not just connected with the death of a person we love. Sometimes people are grieving, they just don't know why. Whenever there is deep loss, there's opportunity for grief. So while each of these different terms could be ones that we would cover in this particular series, I'm actually gonna focus on that middle term, the term of discouragement. We're gonna focus on discouragement for three reasons. The first of those is everyone, everyone, that's you, that's me, that's the person next to you, that's your family, that's your friends, that's Christian and non-Christian, everyone is going to hit moments of discouragement. So this is a universal issue we're dealing with. 
The second thing is when we hit those moments, how we respond to that can often leave a person in that place for months, if not years. They, they can just sit and stall out right there, and they don't know why they don't have the enthusiasm. They don't know why they, they don't have to drive anymore. Discouragement has that capability. There's another reason we're addressing that, and that is because when discouragement is not addressed, it often leads into depression. Now, it is true, it is absolutely true that depression may come on suddenly from known or even unrecognized sources. And sometimes depression, if you're talking about a continuum, it can actually jump right over top of discouragement. But, but here's what I want you to know. There are some forms of depression that can be avoided if we walk through discouragement well. So we're asking two questions this morning. Question number one, what is discouragement from a biblical perspective? Question number two, what makes someone more prone to discouragement? Lord willing, by the time we're finished today, you'll not only understand how Scripture addresses it, but you can also recognize maybe the symptoms, maybe the issues that are currently in your life that are causing you to be more susceptible at this moment. Or you might be able to look back and say, I now recognize I was with three out of these four symptoms. I understand more. And the reason that's important is when we know what leads into discouragement, we get a chance to pray specifically. We get a chance to take our thoughts captive in the moment. We don't have to continue to let it run its course. We can see if I stay on this path, here's what's waiting for me on the other side. But in this moment, when I begin to recognize it, I want to stop right where I'm at and say, God, if you don't reroute me, I'm going to end up in a bad place. God, I need you to do for me in this moment what I do not have the capability to do myself. That is faith. That is depending upon God. So I invite you today, go with me in your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. I am speaking this morning on the subject, a biblical understanding of discouragement. Today is the third message in our Rewire series, and the entire series is talking about the battle that's happening in the mind. It's talking about our thought life. It's talking about us being able to go back and to rethink how we think. So today we're talking about rethinking how we think about discouragement. So if you would, hold your place in the text. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And then we're going to be reading sections in just a few moments, but I want you to make sure to keep your Bible open on that. So let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we are asking once again that your spirit would guide us into truth. We recognize that if we don't pause in the moment, if your spirit doesn't move in our hearts in the moment, and the truths of your word sink in in the moment, then God, our tendency is to rush right back out and to leave unchanged. God, we need you to stop us and give us unbelievable focus. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first question, what is discouragement from a biblical perspective? It's important to ask the question because if we start with the wrong definition, we will likely end with the wrong solution. So the word discouragement, it actually comes from two different words. The root word is courage, and then the prefix is dis, D-I-S. It means the opposite of. 
So very simply stated, discouragement is the opposite of courage. Now throughout scripture, God commands his people to take courage, Psalm 27, to be courageous, Joshua chapter 1, to have courage in the face of persecution, Hebrews chapter 11. So anytime the word of God says, this is what I want you to do, and we are living something different, or we are experiencing something different, we need to go back and say, God, help us know how to address this. So when a person's courage is gone, Scripture uses a number of different terms to describe that individual. Uh, Depending upon the Bible translation you use, these terms might be familiar to you. Sometimes it uses the word dismayed, disheartened, faint-hearted, little-spirited, feeble-minded, or discouraged. A discouraged person is somebody who is confidence-deprived. Their courage, their desire to move forward has been extinguished. Now, that definition surprises people. Sometimes when they're going through discouragement, here's how it equates in their mind. It just means I'm a little bit depressed. They don't equate it with their courage being extinguished. They might say, I'm going through some things right now. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work through some stuff. I, I'm a little bit depressed. They're not going back and saying, my courage, my desire, my enthusiasm, my passion moving forward is now under attack. So when our courage is extinguished, we lose that motivation to move forward. And when you're in that place, here's what I can tell you. Whatever the next step is, it seems too much. The mountain It's just too high. The valley, it's too dark. The battle, it's too fierce. At one point in your life, you might have looked at that same set of circumstances and said, let's go. God, you are more than able. God, I I got a little bit of energy in the tank still. Let's get after this thing. There's a drive. There's a passion. There's a fire. But now when the discouraged person looks at that next step, here's the thought that comes to their mind. I don't want to deal with that anymore. I, I don't want to fight that battle. I don't want to take on that challenge. I don't want to get involved. I simply want to find a place of calmness and normalcy so I can just sit in rest. That's what discouragement will do. Now, if we can't control every situation, and if we cannot avoid all the causes of discouragement, is there a way that we can begin to pinpoint some of the issues that make us more prone for discouragement? The answer on that is yes. It leads right into our next question, and this is where we jump into our First Kings 19 text. So here's our question. What makes someone more prone to discouragement? We're going to study this from one of God's great prophets, a man by the name of Elijah. Elijah is a guy who knew discouragement. So if you've not been involved in church for a while, you've never read the stories about Elijah, let me give you a brief overview of his life. Elijah was the premier prophet of the Old Testament. His bio reads like a superhero. I'm not kidding. You you read his life and you feel like you've been wasting yours. I mean, it's like what God did with this guy was incredible. Under God's command, he prayed and the heavens closed up and a drought persisted for three years. 
During that same time, God miraculously supplied for his needs by bringing a raven two times a day in order to give food. By the way, ravens take. They don't give. That's a miracle right there. Ravens are scavengers. And yet this raven was dropping off breakfast and dinner for Elijah. Elijah was the guy who... He prayed over a poor widow's flour and oil, and it did not run out for the entirety of this drought. He prayed over her dead son, and her dead son came back to life. He prayed again, and God opened up the heavens, and the rains came. Every part of his stories that you find, it's stories of these miraculous moments of victory. And then he gets into the granddaddy of all miracles. He prays against 450 false prophets of Baal, and fire falls from heaven and consumes the false prophets. Listen, that's... That's a strong day of ministry. That's a strong prayer life. I mean, when you read the stories of his life, you're like, how could that guy ever be discouraged? The entirety of 1 Kings 18, listen to the words I'm about to use. The entirety of 1 Kings 18 is Elijah walking with God in courage, in faith, and in confidence. And then you switch over to chapter 19. Same guy who is now running from Jezebel in fear, exhaustion, and discouragement. Here's where it picks up right after the story with the 450 false prophets. Look at what it says, 1 Kings 19, verses 2 and 3. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not Make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Look at this phrase. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. And man, did he run. He actually ran from Mount Carmel to Beersheba. That's about 100 miles away. That, that's a decent jog. He, he left his servant in Beersheba, and then he runs another 15 or so miles into the wilderness. He sits down under a juniper tree, and he asks God to let him die, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4. Now, you can already tell that his judgment is impaired for this reason. Listen, listen. Fearful people run to stay alive. They don't run to die in another location. If he really wanted to die... Jezebel would have hooked him up inside of 24 hours. And he could have saved a lot of exercise. So while under the juniper tree, Elijah told God, did you notice? He says, it is enough. Translation, I've had all I can handle. I'm done. I'm finished. I got nothing left in the tank. I I'm done. Please let me die. He falls asleep under the tree, and after sleeping for a while, an angel of God touched him, told him to get up and to eat. He got up, he ate, he went back to sleep again. The angel woke him a second time, said, arise and eat. He ate, he drank, and he went on in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. He arrives at the mountain of God, he enters the cave, and from there God asked him this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah was ready. 
I guess when you run 100 miles, you ready for that. <laughs> because look at his response, verse number 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord. Paul's there. As believers, it is unbelievably easy for us to go through difficult times, not understand it, and then try to hold our scorecard out of what we've done with God as reason for the fact I should not be walking through this. He says in the text, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. God told him to stand at the mountainside as he passed by, and four events happened in seemingly rapid succession. A strong wind, it came and it broke parts of the mountain, but it says God was not in the wind. An earthquake came and it shook the foundations, but it says God was not in the earthquake. Then a fire comes and consumes everything around, and it says, but God was not in the fire. And finally, a gentle breeze comes through, and the voice of God comes from the breeze and says again, what are you doing here, Elijah? God was in the gentle breeze. God asked the same question, and Elijah gave the same answer. And when that happened, God gave him some things to do. Next set of verses, it says that he was to return to Damascus and to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Jehu as king over Israel. Then he was to go to Elisha, Elisha and anoint him to be his successor. And then, after that... God let him in on a little something that he could not see from where he was in that crisis. There had been 7,000 others who had not yet bowed their knees to Baal. From Elijah's perspective, he's alone. From God's perspective, there's 7,000 others you don't even know about. Those moments you feel like you're alone, those moments when you're discouraged and you think nobody else understands, those moments where the stress of life, the worry of life, the anxieties of life are overwhelming you and you feel like no one else knows. There's people who know. There's a God who sees. Our perspective, though, in the moment can be clouded. So at this point, I want to share four, four issues from his life at this moment that helps us understand how these issues can make us more prone to discouragement. And I'm going to tell you, same exact ones are ones that we face every single day. And by the way, as I'm preaching this, I've had a lot of people say, Paul, I don't know what's going on, but man, that series is right where I'm at. I was dealing with stress, and you dealt with that on week one. I was dealing with worry and anxiety, you dealt with that on week two. Now you're dealing with the issue of discouragement. Here, here's all I can say. The best preaching comes from what God's doing in your heart. I'm not preaching something to you that God's not working me over with during the week. We all go through these things. So here's four things from his life at that time that helps us understand what makes us more prone to discouragement. Number one, we're prone to discouragement when we live in fear and not faith. Elijah lived for years. Listen to me. He lived for years under a death threat. 
This death threat was not new. It was renewed. Jezebel simply stated again what had already been happening the entire time. He was already under a death threat from King Ahab. This wasn't the first time for this. The same guy who fearlessly stood toe-to-toe against 450 false prophets is now afraid of one woman. That's a mean woman. Now here's a side note, but this might be your note for this morning. I've noticed personally in my life that I face discouragement at high highs and low lows. At high highs, I get discouraged because I think the high, I think the achievement is going to mean more than what it really does. Or number two, I'm so excited about what's happening, I get distracted from the attacks of the enemy. And then you got the low lows. It's not hard to understand how a low low can cause people discouragement. But when you're in those difficult moments, it doesn't even have to be that big of a problem to throw you off balance. High highs, low lows. The reason I bring it up is because Elijah just came from a high high. When you call fire down on 450 prophets of Baal, that's like a pinnacle of somebody's prayer career right there. I mean, that is a major moment. And yet in this next moment, he gets overwhelmed. And it tells us that fear was what motivated him to run. Fear, it skews your view of reality. Fear, it obscures God's activity around us. Fear, it cuts us off from God's ordained path of divine acquisition. We are called to pray in faith and to walk by faith and to serve by faith. Here it is. We cannot walk in faith and in fear simultaneously. One or the other is going to win. Now, remember our definition of discouragement. Discouragement is the opposite of courage. A discouraged person is somebody who is confidence-deprived. Their courage, their desire to move forward in whatever that area might be has now been extinguished. That's what fear does to a person. Fear causes people to stop where they are and not take that next path, that next step with God. Somebody might say, but Paul, I don't even battle fear. That worry, anxiety message, that was for a good friend of mine, but that's not my thing. I'm I'm pretty relaxed. I'm pretty calm. I can't tell you a thing that I'm afraid of. Well, let me pause here and just say fear can take a lot of different forms that might not immediately manifest in your mind as fear. For example, fear of criticism. What will others think? Fear of responsibility. What if I can't handle this? Fear of failure. What if I blow it? Fear of the future. What if it doesn't work out? Fear of pain. What if it hurts too much? Fear makes us prone to discouragement. At every one of those points, I just listed five. At every one of those points, a person can stop and say, I don't have the courage to take that next step. Discouragement, it settles in an area of fear that sometimes people have not even labeled yet as fear. Fear causes us to run when God's saying, I want you to trust me. Here's the next one. 
We're prone to discouragement when we don't take time to rest. We live in a culture that is deathly afraid of sitting in silence. Do you know why? One piece is we don't like to be alone with our own thoughts. Another part of it is we don't want to be alone because when we're by ourselves and nothing else is happening, God begins to speak into our hearts. And that can get uncomfortable fast. So what do we do? We just keep running and running and running to the next piece. We're prone to discouragement when we don't take time to rest. When Elijah huddled under the tree and asked God to, to die, notice what God did not do. God did not send him a counselor to talk through his problems. God didn't send him a pastor to pray for him at that moment of need. God did not send him the latest self-help book to read, a podcast to listen to, or even a worship song at that moment. God sent an angel to give him something to eat and let him go to sleep. When you're physically and emotionally exhausted and worn out, it makes us more prone to discouragement. An exhausted body lowers our defenses. An exhausted mind compromises our ability to reason well in the moment. An exhausted spirit makes the situation appear much bleaker than what it really is. Exhaustion clouds our minds in that moment. Now here's a little secret for you. You should take every precaution possible to rest. What I mean by that? Set boundaries. Say no. It did you know it's okay to say no sometimes? No's also an answer. Might not be what people want, but no's an answer. Hey, it's good to go to bed on time. Amen. Solid 8:30 at night. I'm out. Amen. Listen. People been joking around me for years because by 4, 4:30, I'm ready for dinner. They've been like, Paul, you've been training to be a senior adult your whole life. I'm like, amen. Yes, I have. See, the issue is when you're a senior adult, you learn what you should have known years ago right there. I think it was Ben Franklin said something about early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Come on, Ben. That's what I'm talking about. Tonight, all these alarms are going to be set going off at 8.30 at night. You're going to challenge that. Say, does Ben know what he's talking about? Well, I don't know. We'll see. So notice in this situation, though, that for a person, they, they need to go through and take precautions to rest. That, that might mean setting boundaries, saying no, don't overschedule, get to bed on time, eat what is good, uh, get some exercise. All of those things are great. But listen. You can do everything right, and you will still encounter situations greater than your ability to bear it. And when that happens, the words of Jesus over in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 becomes life for you. My grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God will empty us of ourselves so that we discover the limitless strength that is only found in him. 
Are you feeling empty this morning? You feeling drained this morning? Feel like you're stalled out this morning? Here's great news. You are prime for the grace of God. Here's the third scenario. We're prone to discouragement when we focus on the frustrations and believe a false narrative. God helped Elijah see what he couldn't see. God asked Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? And by the way, when God asked the question, what are you doing here, he already knows. We don't know. Have you ever had one of those moments of clarity where you're discouraged, you're overwhelmed, and all of a sudden it's like this moment of clarity settles in and you ask, like, how did I get here? Like a week ago, life was great. I mean, Friday was awesome. I, my family still loves me. There's still a roof over my head. There's still food in my stomach. Like, how did I get here? See, th that's the issue. In this case, God asked Elijah the question twice, why are you here? And what was his reply? His reply showed his focus. Jezebel's threats, Israel's faithlessness, the demands of serving God, his own fears, and all of that is frustrating. All of that might be disappointing. But listen, by focusing on the frustrations, it allowed a lie to slip in, and he began to believe a false narrative. Be careful about what you let in. Be careful about the narratives you believe. We live in a world where a narrative does not have to be true to be popular and to be posted everywhere. Be careful about what you let yourself believe. He thought that he alone was left, and yet he finds out there's been 7,000 others he didn't even know about. By focusing on the frustration and by believing a lie, Elijah was ready to give up. And whenever you're, you're overwhelmed and whenever you feel discouraged and whenever you're midway through a solid pity party, it is easy to give up. A statement I've shared for years is you never solve the problem by focusing on the problem. You solve the problem by focusing on the solution. If your focus is on the frustration, you are more susceptible to discouragement. Now, let me pause here because this is where everybody's like, Paul, you don't know what I'm going through. So when I say don't focus on the frustration, sometimes people are like, Paul, that's like telling somebody who they're getting their arm bit off by a bear, don't focus on the bear. <laughs> like, hey, I'd like to do that, but I'm kind of in the middle of something right now. I understand when, when you're in the throes of discouragement, it is hard to not focus on that. But that's the reason why Scripture's telling us to get our minds in the right place. That's why we're told, take every thought captive. That's why we are instructed to set our minds on things above. That's why we're told, according to Scripture, dwell on what is good and what is lovely and what is pure and what is right. You focus on the bad stuff long enough, you're going to be depressed. You're going to be discouraged. And mm, while we're here, mm, okay. It's okay to turn off the news too. I'm going to tell you, sometimes we might need to do a fast of news and social media. Revival strike out on the other side of that. 
There, there's stuff that's just circulating. It's looping over and over and over again. And when you just let it keep coming in and keep coming in and keep coming in, and then you're like, why do I keep thinking about this? You did it to yourself. Here's the next one. We're prone to discouragement when we expect God to move in certain ways. We not only want God to move, we want him to move how we want him to move, and we want him to move at a timetable of our choosing. Now, there's four events that happened in rapid succession. A strong wind rends the mountains. An earthquake shakes the foundations. A fire consumes everything. All of those are big. All of those are dramatic. I'd even say all of those seem like something God would be doing. And yet he was in none of it. Instead, he spoke in the gentle breeze. This is a good word. Good word. It doesn't have to be big to be God. It just has to be God doesn't have to be big that's one of the reasons we get discouraged because we keep expecting God to do the one big thing and yet he's been doing hundreds of smaller things next to it and, and we're still waiting for that because we want him to ride in on a white horse and save in a dramatic fashion and do something that is now Twitter-worthy. We can go post and say, look what God just did. And sometimes God will do that if that's the way he gets the most glory. But sometimes here's how he gets more glory. Because his servant has not yet seen the answer and they're still walking in faith with their God. That's what happens a lot of times. Sometimes it's the fact that he wakes us up in the morning with the reality that we're still in our right minds. And it's still God. Sometimes he reminds us of the fact that his provision is sitting in our stomach right now. And it's still God. Sometimes he helps us see, had his mercy not met us yesterday, we would not be here today. And it's still God. It doesn't have to be big to be God. It just has to be God. And it needs to be that the people of God are saying, let me tell you about what God did for me. <laughs> God woke me up in my right mind. <laughs> it's God. Sometimes it, it might be that your peace that you're praising God for is he met you in such a personal way in his word that day that you're like, only God could have done that. It's God. If we have expectations saying, this is what I'm waiting for, and if he doesn't do that, God's not moved. You have set yourself up for a whole lot of discouragements. Praise him on the big things. Praise him on the small things. Praise him in all things. Doesn't have to be big to be God. It just has to be God. So in this situation, there's four parts that made him more prone to discouragement. So as we close out this service, I'm going to ask you to ask God if any of those four parts are sitting in your life right now. Could it be that you're living in fear and you're no longer walking by faith? 
And if so, ask God to help you pinpoint what that is. Could it be that you're believing a false narrative and the frustration is overwhelming you? And maybe you need God to just stop you in your tracks and speak truth into your heart. Could it be that you're walking in exhaustion and you've not been willing to say no? Could it be that you are trying to dictate to God what you want him to do and the timetable that you want him to do it in? And since God is not in agreement on that, you're unbelievably discouraged. Where is God pinpointing areas in your life today? I'm going to ask you if you would, bow with me for just a moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. One of the first steps in a person recognizing where it is that God is working in their heart is that it flows out of an intimate relationship with God. And there's some people right now that that you've been running from God for a long time. And you keep hitting problem after problem and discouragement and anxiety and stress and worry. And the whole time, God's saying, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Today, that might be your next step. It's coming to him. There's going to be pastors standing down at the end of the aisle There's going to be a number of female counselors that are also going to be down in the front if you're a lady and feel like you would like to talk with another lady. It might be today that you've been trying to tell yourself, I'm really not afraid. And yet it seems as though today you've realized there's some areas of fear that have set in that you were not aware of. Bring them before God. It might be that you've been trying to say, God, this is, this is what I'm waiting for. And until you do this, I'm going to stay in this state. Don't try to dictate to a sovereign God how he needs to rule in this world. He will do what is for our good, and he will do what brings him glory. And that's not always what we think in the moment. I know of no better way for a person to take the right step if they've been discouraged or they see discouragement setting in than to just simply say, God, what is the next step for me? And take that today. This is a friendly environment right here. You'll you'll never find a place that is more welcoming and more loving and more desirous of God doing something amazing in your life than where you are today. You're among friends, you're among family. Today, allow the Spirit of God to prompt the next piece for you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would do what only you can in this time. There's people that have been battling discouragement for a long time. They've not understood why, and today maybe you turn the light on. God, help them to take that next step. There's maybe some right now that they're starting to feel those initial stages of discouragement set in. And yet today they recognize these are some patterns that need to be addressed, but it's going to be hard. God, give them the courage. Give them the stamina. Give them the enthusiasm to take the next step. God, it might be people right now that they need you. 
They need you as Lord and Savior. Lord, may today be that day that you radically save their life for your sake and glory. God, would you have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?